One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance. So excited to have everybody along on this Friday afternoon. Uh, most of us are still under quarantine, and so uh, we we wish you well. We wish you safety. We hope uh, you're having fun. The the uh, neighborhood kids are out and about uh, right outside my window here, so they're they're having a ball and being tired of being cooped up in the house. I think we all are a little bit. So why not spend some time with us here at the Work Life Balance and learn something new? And we're so excited about our guest today. Uh, he's built one of the top real estate brokerages and founded over fifty companies. He's a father of three and a husband as well, and today he is rooted in his boundless sense of adventure. He continues to travel the world, not only to be enlightened by new experiences, but to share his insight and expertise with others so they too can truly be free. Let's bring him in, David Osborne. How are you doing, sir? Man, it's so good to be with you, Rick. Uh, sorry that our circumstances are to- so tough. Um, being stuck at home is no fun. It but, is uh, no fun, but it, you know it's it's worth it. At the same time, I think two two big metrics are going to come out of this, right? Is it's either a tremendous amount of divorce or closer families. But you've traveled yeah, the world, sure. <laughs> you've traveled the world quite a bit. I was always enamored by Italy when I when I go to Italy at how close the families were, how they took you know the lunch breaks, everything shuts down, everybody yeah. goes home and has lunch as a family. You know, I'd, I'd love to see some of those types of things happen here in the States. You know, I think there is a lesson from all of this that slowing down a little bit is probably not the worst of things. We've moved at a breakneck speed in our country and in the world for a long, long period of time. It's nice to see a clean environment. It's nice to see no traffic on the road. For the first week or so, I was looking at five o'clock every day at Interstate 35, which runs right through Austin, Texas, just to look at it with no red traffic, traffic jam on it. I was amazed. But yeah, hopefully we can take some lessons from this. I think people will take a while to sort of get back to that level of frenetic activity. At the same time, I'm ready to get out of the house. Yeah. I am. I'm, we're lucky enough to live near some woods, so we've been able to hike a little bit, and our walks are a little bit more extended. But uh, my daughter misses her friends. Uh, school's been great. They've done a great job of, of kicking off the online curriculum. And maybe that's part of it, too. Maybe school's partially online. Maybe we all work from home a lot more. Yeah, I think there's definitely going to be a new normal. I mean, I, I usually travel between 50 and 60% of the time, so I'm kind of itching. As much as I don't like to be on planes or sitting in another hotel room, um, at the same time, I'm, I'm realizing that uh, I, I can't really – I'm kind of a caged animal in here. <laughs> We're ready to go. Let's let's rock. Yeah, yeah. I think this is probably the longest I've been in one place in my life uh, as an adult, you know, <laughs> since I've been an adult because I travel, too, for work almost every other week. Um Two weeks at home in a row is a quiet, is a quiet time for me. So we're, we've been in quarantine for a month now in Austin, and I think we got another month to go. But it's definitely you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, can't you? Or at least even that though, like. David. Right, the two weeks that you spent at home, those were frantic. I mean, there's all the stuff that you got to catch up on, yep. all the different yep. bills. I'm going to, I still go to appointments. It's not like I'm I, I would meet people all week long. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So having this kind of time, I, I'm finding myself really creative. And speaking of that, you you wrote a, a New York Times bestselling book called Wealth Can't Wait. Tell the audience yeah. just a little bit about that book. You know, this book was my favorite. It took, uh, I've written three books now and I've got a fourth coming out, but this one was a labor of love. My dad was dying of cancer and I was sitting with him and he was slowly kind of, you know, going, you know, fading away, Rick, just like he had, it was uncurable and I knew it, but it took three years for him to die. 
And uh, I was like, man, you know, I love my dad. I'm going to miss him. But what I'm going to miss a lot are all his stories. And he has so many good ones. And um, maybe I should write a book. So while I was at his bedside, I started scribbling down notes. Now, I wasn't the same kind of storyteller he was. I was, but I'm a business guy and I've had some success. So I thought, what if I wrote a book on helping people, you know, be successful? And I wrote it from the point of view of if my kids picked this up and they were little then, they're a bit older now. But if they were, if they picked this up, could they read it and get some value from it? I was a little bit of a perfectionist about it, so it took me seven years to write, but the, the general concept is who you have to be to be successful, then what you have to do, and then what it takes to stay there You know, once you've gotten there. And about how old were you when he passed? 10 years ago, 42. Yeah, see, I lost my dad to cancer at 19. That was, that was, wow, that's, and that's hard. Don't think I really appreciated you know, some of that time, some of that last time. I, I, I tried, but I tried as a 19-year-old, and, and I think you know uh, at the same time, but I remember, um, having to be there with the hospice worker and, and they were telling me to tell my father it was okay to die because he was hanging yeah. out for us. And I was like, I'm not telling him that because <laughs> it's not okay with me. Right. Uh, and, and that became a huge driver in my life as well. I wrote a book about it and, and same, same kind of thing, but, uh, it's amazing, um, what we can actually glean from those experiences and how that can impact the rest of our lives. Because quite frankly, life is too short. And if we're not taking adventure and if we're not taking chances, then, you know, living that safe life is not something I've ever really subscribed to. Well, loss teaches you to cherish the moments you have, you know, just like when you're sick. I always, rem I try to remind myself when I'm walking around healthy going, hey, just pause for a moment and notice that you're healthy. Because, you know, there's a saying, uh, wellness is the crown. Uh, health is the well, no, wellness is the crown the, the healthy man wears that only the sick man sees. In other words, you only notice you don't walk around thinking, oh, I'm not sick. When you're sick, you're like, oh, I'm sick. I feel so sad for myself. But when you're not sick, you're not like, whoopee, I'm not sick. You know, and so I try to, and when I lost my dad, it was, you know, it was a tragedy and it was painful. And it was also one of the best things that ever happened to me. I, I think I slowed down while he was sick at a level that I hadn't recently at that time. And I decided to get married and have a kid and it, it brought me my family. And once the mantle, my dad was a pretty big personality. So once he was gone, that mantle fell on my shoulders. I grew up, I became more of the patriarch of my family. And, um, you know, there was a lot of gifts that came of it. Of course, I miss him. I'd like to have a glass with him, wine with him right now. There's so much I know he'd have enjoyed of the life that I've created with my wife and my kids and my business. But uh, at the same time, him passing was also a blessing. And I think it's always that way. This coronavirus is painful for all of us. It's really tough. But in the long run, we'll probably look back at it and we'll see the good things we got out of this situation. Hopefully, I saw, anyway. I saw a quote the other day. It was like, I, I wish I knew I was in the good old days while I was, you know, basically it was saying that, yeah, yeah. It was like, we always remember the good old days fondly. I, I, I wish I knew when I was right in the middle of those so I could remember them the way I want to remember them sure. versus fondly. Um, so you let's talk about the real estate brokerage a little bit. Cause that's really where everything kind of started for you, right? Before you got into the 50 companies, it was, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, it all started in real estate. I mean, I was a lawnmower kid before that. So I was, uh, you could say that was a business, but in reality, I, I joined my mom as a realtor. My dad was a lifer, a soldier. Uh, he retired. My mom went to make a couple extra bucks, got into real estate. She happened to join a company that had five agents in it. And the founder of the company was a guy called Gary Keller. Gary Keller's company today has like 150,000 or more. Keller agents. Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Keller Williams. And yeah. he's a, probably a billionaire, or at least he was before the coronavirus. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen coming out of this. Right. Um, and so I joined the company with my mom as a teammate and we started selling real estate. And after three years, I was like, Hey, there's gotta be something else for me. I'd like to do something different. So 
the corporate guys, I mean, Mer- Mer- Gary and Mo, there wasn't much of a corporate then. It was pretty small still. I think there was 800 agents when I joined it. He said, why don't you go to Dallas and start opening franchises? So I went up to Dallas um, with my mom as my partner. None of us really had a lot of money. We were middle of the middle class, but mom was starting to make some. Dad was still getting his 50000 a year retired pay or whatever it was. And um, yeah, we went up to Dallas and started opening franchises. And that was the beginning of my journey into financial success. And it was really led by this great guy, Gary Keller, who, you know, was an incredible teacher and an incredible leader and a great focused individual. And I kind of piggybacked on that and copied him and took a lot of good traits down from that and was able to build a pretty decent little universe myself following his lead. So about how many people would you say that, that you kind of oversaw or was a part of at that point? You know, right now or then, I mean, when I started, it was just me and my mom. And then uh, I built a little team around her in Austin. And so that was five of us. And today I've got uh, with my partner, Smokey in Dallas, I've got 5,000 agents in the master, in the, in the operations we run, we sell 12 billion a year, 36,000 units. And then in my greater master franchises, probably somewhere close to 25,000 people would be my guess. And so uh, of those 25,000 people, though, what does it really take to, to kind of maintain that leadership role? Right? I mean, when people, you're at the top there, yeah. Yeah, five. It takes five. There's a law of five or law of seven or something out there. I can't remember. It's a military thing that you can never have more than five people report to you. Once I learned that concept, I've never tried to have more than five. I mean, I probably have an extended group of 15 or 20 that I see on a regular basis, but um, really I only talk on a deep, deep business level with less than 10 for sure. And on a daily basis, only with four or five. So how do you, how do you maintain that corporate culture at that point then? Yeah. So, you know, for me, it's all in the shadow of the leaders I hire. So they, they lead. I'm, and my goal is to have five guys that make over a million bucks a year that report to me. That's it. So um, I've never, I've never really tried to tell them what to do. I just know how to lead people by being strong and being an example of how to live. So I'm very goal-driven, very objective-driven. But if I hire you, I got a guy that runs LA for me, and he's completely different from my partner who runs North Texas, who's completely different from my partners who run North Florida. And I just let – now, my overall culture is integrity, hard work, having a clear vision, driving yourself forward, and treating others like I'd want to be treated – but I get into business with Brahma bulls. I don't, you know, there's a saying I've always loved. If you get into a field with grain fed cattle, you drive the truck around and the cows follow the, the truck, but you don't put the truck in with a Brahma bull, right? So, you know, the concept is these people are driven, they get out of bed, they're hungry, they want to work, they want to get stuff done. And uh, those are the people I've been looking for. So I, I love that you said integrity is a core piece, and, and I'm going to let you think about this because I'm going to send us to break here in just a second, but I do want to tease this question. So I, I want to hear about a time where something was occurring in, in the organization that was going against your core value of integrity and yeah. what you did from a leadership perspective to, because that's really where corporate culture ends sure. or begins is, is when you say this is my value but then somebody comes up against you and says, no, right. There's, there's something occurring that's against that value and what you do. So we're going to hear that story when we break from break. You're listening to David Osborne, Rick Morris and the work-life balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? 
R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. You know, I can't go at least two or three weeks without somebody asking me about the music that's, that's our lead-in music. Um, that's from a, a group that I'm executive producer of called The Party. Um, and that's a song called Switch. And, and uh, there's a long story behind that. There's, it's, on a, it's on one of our past episodes uh, th- that aired when I had uh, Chase Hampton and Damon Pampolina on the show. Uh, but the joke is, is that, that I got to pay a quarter of a million dollars so I could have lead-in music to my radio show. But that's where that music comes from. Uh, and you guys can, can check that out. It's out on Spotify as well. We're back with David Osborne. He's the author of Wealth Can't Wait. He's, he's you know, part of Keller Williams. He's got a huge, you know, organization in, in uh, uh, real estate. But now we wanted to, to get into some of the favorite ventures. But before we do that, I, was, I teased into the break that we talked about one of your core corporate values was integrity. And I wanted to hear a story where something was occurring that was kind of against that and how you maintain that corporate culture. Yeah, so I had, it's an easy one for me. I had the number one agent in my company I had to sit down with um, and he was, you know, not behaving the way he should. And uh, this was a number of years ago and I just took him to lunch and I'm, I'm like, hey, let's call him Bobby. That wasn't his name, but we'll call him Bobby. I'm like, Bobby, what the heck, man? You know, you're like, an amazing producer. You're making a bunch of money. What's with these like cutting corners you're doing? What's up with this, that, and the other? And I brought it up, laid it out to him. He's like, he was a great salesman, of course, because you don't get to be like a person making multiple millions a year if you don't aren't a great salesman. He's like, yeah, I hear you. And I, I really thought I was connecting with him. I thought I was making headway. I was like, you make plenty of money. You don't need these fringe extra deals. Just drive the car straight down the middle of the road. We had a long chat about it. I thought I connected with him. Wasn't hundred percent sure because, like I said, he was smooth as silk and um, could sell ice to Eskimos, as the old saying goes. And then, uh, you know, his same behavior just continued. And my manager came to me and said, "Hey, um, I want him out." And I said, "Fire him. Let him. You know, ask him to leave. Send his license back." So we we basically fired the number one agent in the company over activities that were not acceptable to our standards. And um, you know, at that time, that was a lot of market share. That was we, we were pretty close to number one. I'm, I'm I think at that time, by firing him, we dropped back to number two temporarily. 
and we got heat from corporate too. The head guys, they don't know the whole story, right? They're up in their, their empire and they're looking at the whole universe and helping expand Keller Williams as a whole. I'm a franchise owner, but they're, uh, they're concerned about what's going on. So we had to, we had to answer to both sides, but it was just unacceptable the way he was acting. I don't think, I don't think, uh, I don't know that he ever got in trouble for it. I don't know that he would, but from my standpoint, it was not an acceptable behavior. So that's, that was pretty tough firing our number one agent. I think it's a great story. I, uh, I do a lot of consulting with organizations on corporate culture and I was hired by one organization that wanted to look at inclusivity and diversity and those types of things. But I was hearing kind of the same story. This guy was number one sales guy, had the parking place up front, was their number one producer, had a couple of harassment complaints on him. And so that was my suggestion. I was like, if you guys want this culture that you're talking about, you need to fire the guy. And they're like, oh, right. we, we can't fire him. And I was like, well, then what you're saying is as long as you produce, you can get away with whatever you want. So what do you want your culture to be? What do you, and, and they didn't like any of those answers. And ultimately, I didn't get the gig. But uh, it's probably not a company I would want to be associated with anyway. But I, I think it's really important that if we say, I, I hear so much speak on what corporate culture is. But then when it comes down to that's the number one guy. And that in, in terms of real estate, that was probably a significant chunk of money. In, in your, at that time, especially, yeah. We got yeah. bigger since then, but at that time, it was a big deal. Yeah. Well, but good you know, for you, you just can't that. tolerate There's certain ways of being. You got to be in the universe. And I'm not looking for saints. I'm, we're not, business is not a sainthood, but you got to be in, in between the lines. You know, you can be aggressive. You can make calls. You can, you know, you got to do your thing, but you got to, you can't, you can't lie, cheat, or steal in my world. So. So how on earth do you have time to, to, to be a part of this organization here and then find 50 different companies? And you said like 24, well, 25 of them are still kind of making money. Yeah. At this point. Well, a bunch of them are franchises inside that organization. I, I probably got, I probably got 35 income producing assets right now that are companies. Um, but the real thing is like life for me has been easier as I've gotten more successful. What people don't realize is they think scale is hard and it is hard. It has complexity to it, but it's actually way easier to run my organization today than it was when I was selling real estate in Austin, for instance. When I had a team of you know three or four that all reported to me and I had to know every answer, and today I just have some really great people working for me. I was a C student all through high school, barely made it through college. Um, but once I got into sales and in the real world of business, I became an avid student of life. Today, I'm one of the most... Um, of all the people I know, I probably read and study as much as almost anybody, right? I'm up in the top 1% or so. And, and what that does is it helps me be a better business person. There's so many nuances of business that you can learn that can make your business better. And one of them is hiring great people. One of them is really focusing on the big picture and having accountability and a vision. And so, uh, you know, I hire great talent. I take really good care of them and I try to help them win and get an economic outcome that they couldn't get anyplace else. And um, because of that, I have very loyal people. A couple of my guys make over a million bucks a year already. One of them makes three, one of them makes two. Uh, my third one probably makes, I don't know, 600. And then it drops down from there a little bit, but everyone's de- well paid. And, uh, you know, when, you're, when, when someone's earning that much money, generally motivation is not an issue for them. Like, sure. you know, you don't, you, don't, you don't have a motivation issue if you're that successful. And so once you have that, it's just really laying down the lines for them to run in. So I've been able to buy all these other feeder companies. I started a private equity firm. I hired a team for that. I have a distressed debt company run by an MIT MBA. And my private equity fund is run by an A&M uh, MBA. And then I have a foreclosure company that I bought with a partner. And it's, to me, it's all about the person and the opportunity. And I look at the two of them, but I always start with the person. Can I live with them? Are they in, in alignment with me? Are they practical, no-nonsense, straightforward, straight shooters that have integrity? And, um, 
you know, I really look for intelligence, loyalty, and integrity. And I don't mean blind loyalty either. I mean loyalty enough to not, you know, try to stab me in the back. I don't mean <laughs> if I'm paying you three hundred and someone offers you three fifty, that's stabbing me in the back. If I'm paying you three hundred off, someone offers you five hundred or nine hundred, you should go take that job and try to get me one too. That's what I tell people. So, <laughs> um, so all these things I just learned how to hire, how to find them, behavioral assessments, how to use those, and then I just keep what are it your really favorites? on the most. When you said that, just quickly, what are your oh, favorites on the behavioral? A- ABA. I mean, the you know the disc. If we go to that one, that's the one everyone yeah. knows. But the ABA is the. Um, I, love, I like aggressives. I like high aggressive individuals, secondary social, uh, high impatience generally, and a pretty good attention to detail. So a D, a little bit of I, low S and C. But if you're asking what behavior usually makes a good leader, that's one. No, there's all kinds no, of different nuances. Yeah. No, I was just wondering which, because I've been certified in teaching DISC for 15, oh, I 16 love years. Yeah. DISC is basic. It's like your bread and butter. Sure. To me, it's like peanut butter and jelly. I, I probably won't meet with a person you know, anymore without them having taken either the disc. And then the ABA is kind of like a more complex disc. Honestly, it's very yeah. similar. It just cost me a couple hundred bucks instead of like nothing. So I use that because it's more detailed and there's a consultant that comes with it that I can call and sort of pick their brain on who is this guy. And there's not one size fits all in terms of personality type, but generally speaking, I get along with aggressives. And the reason for that is high D's or aggressives are going to take action, right? They're going right. to, the, the, the worst thing in the world, I was on a call the other day, I said, look, the best thing, I'd rather you did 10 actions, five of them wrong. What do you do when you're depressed or in a downturn like we are right now? You right. take massive action. And I learned this. I had to learn this. I procrastinated. I did all the stuff that people do when they're trying to figure stuff out, try to make the perfect decision and the perfect action. And then over many, many years, I just learned that, you know, it's better to do 10 things, five of them wrong than one thing right. Because one right. thing right is not enough. Five things right with five mistakes. And now I've gotten five action outcomes and five lessons. And so it's just exactly. about speed and, and rolling out really quick. And, and aggressives, you don't have to tell them to do that. A, high, a certain amount of high D will do that. Now, by the way, my analyst, my C, chief investment officer, I don't want him to be all D and no analysis capability. Uh, right. I see that there. Support, yeah. yeah, you want a high C there. And the people that support you too, like there's a whole range. So I'm not trying to lean into that group, but that group works well with me because I'm also one. So I'm able to relate to them. We're not too thin skinned. So I can be pretty aggressive, straightforward and, uh, and you know, once you're like, there's the hill, uh, high D is going to charge that hill all day long. But there's a whole realm of people you need all around that that do different aspects and support and equally important. The whole team has to work well together. The second thing I think I do is really take care of people well. I'm aggressive and I can be a little bit curt, a little bit short. But if your dad dies or something, you know, I'm going to be the guy buying you a ticket and sending you out there. I'm, I, might, I may not be the warmest, give you a hug and cry with you, but I'm certainly like, you can have time off. Let's get this sorted out. I've always done that with people that are, you know, one of my employees went to Florida one time and he'd VRBO'd it. This is back in the early days and there was no house there. There was just a lot. Uh, And then he went to the beach and there was some kind of like toxic mold on the beach. And I was lucky enough to have a King Air there. So I flew my King out. I picked him up, took him to another house in another city in Florida with his whole family. And I paid for that house. So basically I just took that, you know, it was like 20 grand or something. And and I sit, I fixed all those problems for him. So that's more of an example of how I show love through acts of service more than through other stuff. And, and if the guy's making me money, I'm taking care of him. That's what I try to do. Sure. Now, most of this though, if I'm trying to do the math, right, you just said 42. Uh, and then according to your bio, you, you were hitchhiking and broke by the time you back home at 26. So this has really all been built over the last 16 years. Yeah. I'm 52 now. I remember my oh, dad. 52, sorry. My dad so 26 died. My dad years. died 10 okay. years ago. Yeah. 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 So I, I just got lucky. Keller Williams was a real good 
you know, by the way, um, there's a whole thing I could go into in a lot, but Keller Williams being a winning strategy was great for me. So it's like I was at Southwest Airlines or I was at Microsoft. But before you, you know, before people get lost in luck versus not luck, there was actually studies done that if you can, they threw dollars all over the parking lot of this parking area. And they had people that thought they were lucky and people that thought they were unlucky. And then they had them walk past all these $20 bills that were scattered in different places on the parking lot. And the people that thought they were lucky found more money than the people that thought they were unlucky, right? So I walk through life believing that I'm lucky. I tell my kids, you're the luckiest kids on the planet. And uh, I let that manifest. But the bottom line is Keller Williams was good. There were eight or so hundred other people in the company when I was there. And I was able to just take opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and build a large franchise network. And I had no clue what I was doing. I fell on my face. I made a million mistakes. Um, but I, you know, it, it worked out for me in the long run. Well, and luck is, I think I have a great friend, Chase Hampton, wrote a beautiful speech around luck and saying that the only thing you really can't control is timing, but it's still preparation and opportunity. Like, it, right, So you could say you're lucky or you can say that you've been preparing your whole life for when that right. opportunity came to you, that you right. ran and, and, and grabbed it. So, I, I you know, I, well, just I believe building on that. This, the second time I was really lucky was in the last downturn because I, I knew a lot about real estate. Real estate was underpriced. It was very clear to me. I was terrified like everyone else in 07 and 08. Around 09, I'd stabilized. I was still making money, not as much, way, way less than I was. But I was like, wow, we're, we're, we're profitable. The, the, everything's crashed and we're still making money. That's good. But I had some cash set aside. And around 2010, I started buying stuff. And by 2012, I was like, I am buying everything I can possibly buy. Like I was looking for stuff everywhere. And, and I remember analyzing three deals with my CFO at the time. And he's like, which one should we buy? And I'm like, we should buy all of them, but we don't have enough money. So we'll just buy this one. And that was, again, I was really lucky. So when the market recovered, it kind of doubled my net worth. And I bought, you know, about 800 single family homes. It's how I started private equity. It's how I got into distressed debt. But also it was extremely lucky, right? Because who knew that real estate would bounce back like, you know, 10, 15% a year for seven years, which is kind of what it did. Well, and I think we're, I think we're at another opportunity right now. Certainly we are. stocks we are. and, and we are. a lot of the financial things that are going on for those of us that uh, can see abundance. Um, and, and not uh, not hold all of our chips in hand. I think there's a and, tremendous opportunity. And this is why I love a downturn. You see, when you're in a boom like we were, every day you're in a boom, you're one day closer to a crash. So you know right over the horizon at some point there's going to be a problem. But when you're in a crash, which we are right now, every day you're in it, when you're one day closer to a boom. Nah, that's amazing, so, yeah. So I'm always actually more optimistic in the in the downturns and more happy because I don't really have to look out for anything. It's here. All the trouble is here. And now I just got to react, deal, adapt, take action, move fast, and then be ready for the opportunities when they show up, which they will. Nine months, 12 months, 18 months, I'm not quite sure when. Uh, but there's going to be some mispriced assets coming out of this. Well, and I can see on your hat there that uh, for, for those of you that can't see what I see, it's a tribe of millionaires. And I think uh, I want to ask several questions about that when we come back from break. But we're going to go ahead and take another quick break right now. You're listening to Rick Morris and the Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? 
R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon, Friday afternoon, talking to David Osborne. So, David, uh, you've got the tribe of millionaires. And I think, you know, everybody's kind of scrambling to online now. We start talking about luck and preparation and opportunity. Uh, we started a community, uh, started really talking about it January. We launched March 1st. And so right before all the shutdown and everything else. So timing-wise, you know, we're really first to market with this kind of tribe in terms of the, the knowledge space that we're in. But you're yeah. seeing even like uh, Tony Robbins and Russell Brunson, Dean Graziosi, you know, merging together. Everybody's going to online, you know, products. So talk to me about where the idea for the tribe came from, how you started it, and, and kind of what you do to service that, that tribe. Yeah, so 20 years ago, I was at a mastermind with read by a guy, led by a guy called Fred Gross. And um, Fred Gross taught us in a small group of 15 to pick out a peer partner in the group, and he said, that guy's going to hold you accountable and in payment, you're going to pull him accountable and that's going to be your mutual, you know, barter based uh, relationship. And there was a guy across the room called Pat Hyben. He was the number one Remax agent in the country at the time. And I was a Keller Williams broker just starting out. And um, we gave each other the man nod, which, you know, all men know, kind of <laughs> nodded someone across the room. He nodded me back. Little did I know it was going to be a relationship pretty much as close as my wife you know, not as close, but almost, and certainly uh, with all the same, you know, BS that goes into that, like, long-term, really close relationship, and so we started holding each other accountable at a very high level. I'd say I was going to make, you know, 100 calls a week, and if I made 50, he'd send me an email saying, hey, you're just going to be like everyone else that talks the talk and doesn't walk the walk, Um, and I would have the, through the law of reciprocation, I got the glory of kicking him in the butt whenever he wasn't doing what he said he was going to do, and so we did this through this mastermind for six years. Then we broke away from them and kept doing it. In 2004, we met a guy and we just did it over number of hours work, making our calls. We, and, and in 2004, we met a guy that was already retired. He'd been famous in the real estate industry and he, his measurement was how many checks he got in the mail every month and how many hours he got skiing and mountain bikings in the summer or the winter. So we added him and we became a threesome. We became the three amigos 
And so now we added not just hours work, but instead we went to like horizontal income, which is your passive income. We went to uh, age-defying health. We went to bucket list adventures. Um, and we went to genuine relationships, genuine contribution, and we wrapped it all up in extreme accountability. So those became our six pillars. And then we were just, we, we added three more guys. We were up to six. And this is just friends, just hanging out, holding each other accountable. And then in 2011, we were so sick of everyone's stories. We heard all the stories. We climbed Kilimanjaro <laughs> together. We went on the, you know, the Camino de Santiago. We went to the Great Tomato Fight. We were starting to wrap in adventure with our accountability, but we would exchange tax returns. We would exchange our goals every quarter. I just sent them my third uh, quarter goals, what I'd accomplished, what I haven't. And um, so we just said, what, a guy, one of the guys that came with us is a Tony Robbins guy. He's guys, you got something here, man. People want this. The people need this. They want this. They're hungry for it. So I think that was around 2013. We, we created a tribe. We have a membership. You have an application process. The tribe's called GoBundance, but the book we wrote is called Tribe of Millionaires. You can get it for free by going to tribeofmillionaires.com. But um, now we got, we went 25, 40, 80, 120. Now we're at 240 members and we have a built-in system of, we put everyone in pods of four. We switch real quickly to online. So we usually do a winter and a summer event and then a lot of local meetups and we would always, our events were a little different. We would get together. We did our Aspen one in January, thank goodness, before this all shut down and we ski all day and then we meet at four until midnight. So it's like a very alpha type group of people that really want to push and go. Uh, that way you've got your endorphins flowing. You've had a really great day. And then we just mastermind and we're very honest and authentic. Like where are you? We want you to be 10 out of 10 in all areas with your wife, with your kids, with your business, with your financial freedom, with your faith, whatever it is that inspires you and moves you forward. We're non-political or non-judgmental uh, in any space like that. We just want to stand for other guys to be great guys and to be great leaders and great patriarchs of their family. Um, and so that's what we created and it's been real successful. We have two divisions now, the champions and then the elite. And then we're just rolling out uh, emerge and ascend, which will be two more for the, for the younger groups, the sort of the apprentice level. Um, it's at gobundance.com. You can apply, but we've changed lives, man. We've had guys lose 50 pounds. One of our guys got COVID and he said he thought that GoBundance saved his life because before he joined GoBundance five years ago, he was like 40 pounds heavier and didn't work out at all and because of all the, positive social pressure in our group. He lost 40 pounds and he's working out every day and then he got COVID and he said it was a beating, but he beat it back. And so, wow. yeah, I think it's, it's been really great. People have said it saved their marriage. People have been financially free. One guy I knew was making a million bucks a year when he showed up and he had zero passive income. I was talking to him yesterday. He's in the mortgage business. His mortgage business is shut down, but he has 247 doors now and uh, makes around 190,000 a year passive. So he's like, I got 15,000 a month coming in from that. And hopefully that'll continue because of course we've got, we got to worry about rentals and stuff. Um, but it just changes a lot of lives and it's, it's super inspirational, super fun. It's been really good. My wife is plugged into the Go Wise, which is another group that kind of emerged from it. There's now Fanbundance for kids. So my kids are plugged into Fanbundance and it's all about living life on your terms but then having transparency and accountability and authenticity around what you said you're going to do. Cause I think most of us have great intentions and the reason we don't get stuff done is because no one holds us accountable and we either hide from it or we pretend we're doing better than we are. And if you can shed that and be willing to be transparent and take the pain of kind of being real and you do that year after year after year, you build on a foundation. And when you build on that foundation, your, your building stands taller, your life stands taller. I'm healthier than I was because of go abundance. I have more money than I ever had. I have a better relationship with my wife. I work at it all the time. I work at being a great dad. Um, it really ties into your work-life balance concept because we are definitely not about the money. Yes, the money is important. Productivity is important, but your family is way more important. Your relationship, your faith, and giving a way to con contribute 
And again, like non-denominational faith, you could be whatever you want. It's important to have faith in something or find a way to give back or, or be com- connected to something greater than yourself. So that's kind of where we come from in that. Yeah, I work with uh, John Maxwell. And uh, one of my yeah. favorite quotes, by the way, he said, uh, is the only difference between people with good intentions is, and bad intentions is that people with good intentions are generally nicer. But otherwise, there's no difference. <laughs> because if you, if you don't follow through, it's just a great intention. But you know, it, it's true. funny because you, you've got the John Maxwell team, and I have a lot of John Maxwell team listeners to this podcast, uh, and they try to build a business via mastermind. And, yep. uh, you know, we, have, we all have the greatest manual in the world of mastermind is Think and Grow Rich. Uh, but what I find really interesting in talking to a lot of these coaches and talking to a lot of people, a lot of people just don't see the value of a mastermind. You feel like you're just being, and, and here, it, it, when you have one that works, but it's all driven people. It's not like you're going to recruit. Right. It's more people find you and, and it's, it's yeah. got to be almost a pull in versus a push out. Mentality. Yeah, that's what's funny. Ours just caught fire. And honestly, it's one of the least profitable businesses I own. I do make money from it, but I'm super inspired by it. I, it's probably my most pleasurable business because I get significance from it. And Maxwell, one of your, you know, I'm a big Maxwell fan, too, but not at the level you are. He goes, what is life? Is struggle, uh, struggle, success, significance, right? Isn't that it? The four, oh, yeah. There's four it's, I, I say this quote probably every radio show, but he says, you could be successful by yourself, but you'll never be significant without a team. And once you taste uh, significance, success will never satisfy. Yeah. So I'm in the significance phase of my life, which is beautiful. And those texts and emails I get of gratitude. I talked to a guy the other day. He's like, thank God I have this tribe in this difficult time. I mean, we were, we were coaching people how to get the PPP money and the EIDL money. Like, you know, the day many of our guys submitted at midnight plus one minute. We have a lot of coaches too. And people that are driving their own masterminds. We've got six doctors in it. We've got uh, people that have software companies, a lot of real estate guys. Um, But it really caught fire by itself. And you're absolutely right. This tribe that we created really, we're really more the midwives of it more than actually the creators of it. It just, it, we had been doing it for 20 years. So it's an overnight success that we spent 20 years <laughs> holding ourselves accountable and living this life. And uh, it's super fun, man. And people come and go a little bit, but we've got great momentum and growth. We'll see what happens now with the online, but we also switch really fast to a zoom call almost every day. Now had great speakers on what to do with this. And then just kind of a town council where, you know, we've had like 60, 70% of the tribe on 160 people, 170 people just talking about who's struggling with what, what are you finding? How do you do this? And it's, it's just been a very vibrant uh, entrepreneurial opportunity. So it's been fun. And, and as you said, it's all about significance for me. I put, if you took the time I put into that on my pay per hour basis, it would, I, I should stop it right now. Yeah. It's, it's the same with the, the Maxwell team, right? We, we do two big, uh, we, we canceled obviously in March, but we do two big certification events. But I go because that's that's where all my significant people are. That's where the people that drive me, my coaches, uh, th- that kind of stuff. It, it, that there's just there's an energy that gets created when you're all in that same when you're all actually operating on that same wavelength of energy. It's it's tremendous. And, and if I go longer than six months without that, right, then then I just start to I can feel my energy every day, my drive, my my push go down. So it's, it's yeah, I think a, that's true. I think you've got to occasionally get out of your box and sort of let the walls get shaken up and clean air and fresh air come and wash out the system. And you know, we do adventure masterminds too with our group. So we you know climb Kilimanjaro, go to Japan, and hit all the adventure spots, whitewater raft in different places. We try to really mix it up with a little bit of physical and also intellectual and personal growth. But the real key to it is showing up with openness, authenticity, and transparency and being willing to be held accountable because what I do see a lot of people doing in life, which is a little sad, is they're all about how amazing everything is and they never admit any of their shortcomings. And 
uh, you don't want to dwell on your shortcomings, but you can't transform what you don't admit. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting, but it sounds like Maxwell is just like it. I've almost gone to an exchange like three times. I just haven't, you know, my life's very full and uh, sure. I, I, I'm a big fan of John Maxwell. I've seen him speak and sat right next to him a couple of times when he spoke to Keller Williams. Uh, he's an amazing wisdom and, you know, a wise man of our world. Well, he's in that same significant stage now, too. I mean, he, he be careful when you sit next to him because he's all about uh, uh, generating uh, uh, donations and, and money for the venture. So, <laughs> and, and he, I, I've watched him pull this move, I don't know how many times, but, but he'll bring somebody up, it'll be a great cause. And then he'll be the first one. He'll say, well, I just wrote a check for 100000 Now, who in the room is going to match me, right? And all of wow. a sudden, you got all this pressure to start writing money. And then John's just staring through you. And, of course, you're going to raise money for, the, for whatever that cause is. He's amazing at it. Um, no, so awesome. we're going to take a final break. When we come back, though, what I want to do is go ahead and run through, we'll run through GoBundance again. We'll run through your different businesses, how to connect with you, how people can find you, your books, and then uh, – I always ask the question, what's some of the best advice you've ever received? And we'll let you answer okay. that when we come back after the break. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance this Friday afternoon, the final segment with David Osborne. David, first of all, we got to thank you so much for, for coming out, and you've been a blast, and I, I appreciate how busy you are, and, and giving us an entire hour is huge. So, Thanks uh, for having me, Rick. It's a pleasure. As you said, it's, it's an honor to contribute to others. And, and how do people get in touch with you? How do they find you? Give us, give us that yeah. whole rundown. I mean, it's davidosborne.com is my website, uh, O-S-B-O-R-N, or I am David Osborne on Instagram. Um, or go to gobundance.com and apply for membership if you want to. That's another, those are really the only three ways. And then you've got Wealth Can't Wait. What are your other books? Wealth Can't Wait. I wrote uh, Miracle Morning Millionaires with Hal Elrod, who's a really good friend of mine and a neighbor. And he wrote The Miracle Morning, which has done really well. 
And then Tribe of Millionaires, which I was telling you about, which is a parable book. By the way, the first book I wrote took me seven years. And then I found this wonderful concept called a ghostwriter, and I started working with a ghostwriter. <laughs> Amen. My second one took me seven months, and I think the third one took me seven hours. So um, after my second book, I started. Yeah, tell me a good ghostwriter. At least let me tell the story, and somebody else can write it and put it in a proper right, English. Absolutely. Right. There's a reason I was a C student. So <laughs> writing a book is. It's like a dissertation. Man. Did you did you have an editor for the first book though? Were they did oh you get gosh, the red yes. line I mean, copy back? You know, you know, I, a great a great quote I have, and I always kind of have that. But for a book, is it starts off as a flirtation, it becomes a wonderful romance, and then it ends up as a cruel mistress. And yeah. that's really like how it was. I was like, well, I'm gonna write a book. This is gonna be great. And I'm typing away, and it's fun. And then I'm romantic. Oh, this is gonna be good. And then all of a sudden, you're like, I got pages and pages of crap, and I don't know how to put it all together. And if, and so then it was just whipping me and I wasn't whipping it. And eventually, yeah, we hired, and the reason it cost me quite a bit of money, we were a New York Times bestseller on that one, but I went through multiple editors. So I, I, you know, I fired a few and got kind of mad. And then I realized they were smarter than me. And I think I'd read it about 14 times before it started getting good, but the editors did an amazing job because you don't realize you said the same thing on page 60 as you did on page 300. Right. And it's the same story. So they take all that. And so you don't have two chapters that are the same. They move them together. Uh, the editors, God bless, did an amazing job. I could have spent another seven years tweaking that book, to be honest with you. I, I had to I had to set a firm deadline. And the reason, the only reason I got it out the door is I said to myself, look, I'm going to write 10 books so you can relax, the internal critic in me, and this one doesn't have to be perfect because I was, it really was my, uh, and it's a great book. A lot of people love it. It should have probably been five books. It's so rich with information. But if you want to start a business and know all the ins and outs, it's uh, it's very thorough and very complete. And it gives you basically the inside of David's brain. Um and Paul Morris, my co-author, who also brought some really good insights as well. Yeah, it's a, it's it was, I love that book, and it was a labor of love for sure. Sure, sure. And every time you look at it, you, it, what happens to me? Anytime I start to go, I need to write another book. I look at that one and I go, Yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm. Thing, uh, <laughs> I'm an auditory thinker, so I write like I would like I hear myself on stage telling right. the story. I right. write that way, and the editors just tear it up, and I'm like, I don't even like. I, I went back and read one of my first books and I, I don't even remember the words. Like I was like, this is, Oh, that's right. They rewrote everything. <laughs> so right. the concept's still there, but those aren't my words. <laughs> well, the second and third book I read them. I'm like, wow, that's really well written. And it didn't take them hardly any time at all. So um, for sure they do a better job. The, Hal Elrod's the only author I know that sold 2 million copies of his book and he kills it. Um, but I don't know anybody else really that's made any money from books. Mine, mine still makes me like, $300 a month. Yeah. <laughs> the wealth can't wait. It's still selling, which is better than most books. Most books just die. We sold about 40,000 copies, but uh, we put a lot of muscle behind that too. That was a lot of work. And then uh, the funny thing is Hal's Miracle Morning Millionaires, which is just a series book. It sells more than mine does. And it's just because his is so famous and his just yeah. struck a nerve. And I read his book and it's beautiful. The concept is wonderful. It's not that well written by the way, because he didn't use editors, but the concept is amazing for getting up an hour early and doing the six steps. And so we wrote Miracle Morning Millionaires together to take the Miracle Morning and apply it to building wealth, which was fun. And then Tribe of Millionaires is really good too. It's just a business parable. So it's been fun. It's a fun journey. And John's got a, uh, a content person that follows him around because a lot of he's auditory as well. So right. he'll say something on stage and he'll, he'll look over and he's got a, he's got a content person that kind of gives yeah, him the thumbs up that, that, yeah, she caught that. Yeah. yeah. And then he's got a writer yeah. as well. That's how you write so many books. Yeah, he's done a bunch, and some of them are really good. Um, I hung out with Gary Vanderchuk a couple times, and uh, he yeah. has like a crew following him around nonstop, right? Yeah. So, and I I remember seeing John like 
when he was in a group of 40 of us making a speech, we were the leaders of Keller Williams and he was our keynote, but he came and spent lunch with us and he said something interesting. He pointed over at whoever yeah. it was that had yeah. a journal to write down whatever he just said. And I was exactly. like, wow, you've arrived when you've got a guy that follows you around with a notebook. Well, not only that, but for the first time ever, I was I was watching him and Mark Cole do uh, a speech for us, and he just said something brilliant, and that made it into uh, leaderships. Nice. And so for the first time, I actually got to see a piece of content from creation to stage all the way to written word and trying to study That's that. Awesome. Still doesn't make me a better writer, <laughs> not by any sense. No. But, and but, it's, it's more than the writing, too. You have to put it all together. You have to tie right. the bow together. you got to thread it together, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can have a so, bunch of good nuggets, but you have to put those nuggets into a stew. Right. That, that is a meal for somebody to eat. And uh, I'm pretty good at the nuggets occasionally, but I, that's a whole gift. It's a gift, man. It's for sure. It's a machine. So what's some of the best advice you've ever received? Yeah, I mean, so much advice. But, you know, when I was having a mini identity crisis building my businesses at age 30, um, a guy told me, look, here's the secret of success in business. Write down the seven most important things to do every day and do the top three. That's it. Just do that. Nothing else. And so that was a game changer for me. I, before then, I didn't prioritize real well. I kind of like I'd have a list of 100 things and I'd just be grinding my way through my list. And that was kind of liberating. Um, the second thing, I, you know, that's, that's my favorite. The second thing is you're only as good as your people. You, you know, you're, you'll never be better than your people. It takes a team to build something great. If you want to go somewhere fast, go alone. If you want to go somewhere far, if you want to go far, go with a team because the team builds structure and that can go for a long way. Uh, so I've been really obsessed with building, getting great people in business with me as well. Um, so those are two of the, you know, there's so many. I'm Richard Branson. When I met him, he told me work out. I said, what's your number one business advice? He says, work out. The more energy you have personally, the better you'll do as a business person. So that's been a mantra of mine ever since I was a kind of a dorky kid. I definitely wasn't the captain of the football team or anything like that. And now I'm in the best shape I've been, except for my natural 20 year old body when I was in college, of course, but I'm like 9% body fat. I work out all the, and I don't work out crazy. It's not intense. I'm not trying to hurt myself. I'm just consistently on my Peloton or lifting weights or hiking or skiing or doing something. And I eat better too. So, um, so many things. Life's all about frequencies, Rick. So to me, if you want to get into the frequency of success, you just have to learn those frequencies. And if you want to get in the frequency of health, you have to learn those frequencies. If you want to have a, be a great dad, you have to be, get into the frequency of fatherhood. And I just try to align myself with the appropriate frequency at the appropriate time. So, I've had so much good advice and you were asking too about the other businesses, but they all kind of segued from real estate, right? So sure. once I learned how to hire people and run, run organizations led by people, everything I do is pretty much in the real estate space. I've got a few for subscription services. GoBundance is uh, obviously a mastermind in an educational space, but they're all in that realm. So, and I just do it one at a time. And the way I do a vision normally, which is different than most is I create a vision of, you know, I meet a person, I see the potential there. I kind of play with the vision of what's possible there. I decide if they're the right person that can drive it there. And if I can, I figure out how to get in business with them. I let them drive it. I wrap my vision around it. And then I just meet with them on a regular basis and hold them accountable. So if you saw my, my personal workbook, you'd see I have like 15 tabs at the back and each tab represents a business. And when I meet with each of my team members that run that business, I just look at what they said last time. Uh, ask them how they've done on that and then ask where we are now and then where are we going and I write down where they say we're going with my tweaks or anything I think is important. With the best ones, by the way, I don't have any tweaks. I'm just like, yeah, everything you said is great. I'll talk to yeah. you next you know, week or next month. And then, I, then that's how I track everything and I just keep it moving forward. And as long as your partner has a vested stake in it and you're not stupid around spending money, which is another lesson, um, uh, it all works out. So anyway, that was a segue. Go, 
go ahead, Rick. What else do you want to ask? No, that was perfect. I was going to give you just a, what we, we've got about three minutes or so to, uh, to close. Uh, but uh, what, what would you like the audience to kind of leave with? What, if you had a final word or a final statement for them, what would you like them to leave with? Um, you know, I think this, like, this is the greatest opportunity in your life right now. Uh, every downturn leads to spring. Like Jim Rohn was one of my favorite speakers. He says, you get, mm. you get spring, you get summer, you get fall and you get winter, right? You don't get four springs. The farmer doesn't go, I got four springs to plant my seeds. Right. And so this is winter. This is what winter looks like. It's a downturn. Things are tight. We're stuck at home. Things are difficult. But what comes after every winter is spring. So you've got spring coming. And so this is a perfect opportunity for people right now to um, sharpen the saw, you know, read some books, listen to some podcasts, do some personal development, uh, get, get your health right. And, and then the most important thing for me, for, your, for my entire you know, philosophy of success is to have a purpose for your life. Be purposeful. Be very clear on where you want to go. So I have a five-year vision, a 10-year vision. I have about 80 goals I set in the eight gardens of life every year. So I have 10 goals in each garden. And I want you to know that when I started, I wasn't like this. I used to listen to subliminal ocean waves that supposedly would stop me from procrastinating back when I was 15 or 16 years old. I was, I was bad at getting my homework done. I was, I'd get into work. When I got into real estate, I, I would try to initiate like 30 projects at the same time and I'd mm-hmm. never get any of them done. They'd all move like tiny inches forward. So I had this massive fuzziness in my life and a lack of focus. And over 20 plus years, ever since that multimillionaire guy told me, hey, just do the three most important things every day. That's really it. That's the secret of success. I've added to that. Be purposeful. Have a massive objective and an outcome for your life. We're blessed right now to spend so much time at home with our families and our loved ones. And that gives you so much familial energy. Use that time to sort of project your life into the future the way you want it to go. Create a vision for yourself. Create what your purpose is, and then build your life directing yourself towards that purpose. And um, for me, that goes to my goals, which are my daily, you know, reviews and my action steps. And then I could, I could give, I'm writing a 10 year vision right now that talks about post COVID. So I'm writing my vision. I'm, I'm 62. My wife is a certain age. My kids ages. I'll talk about, we we're amazingly healthy. Life's been good. We're living exactly the life we want. 10 years ago, there was a scare through the whole of society. There was a pandemic and we were all very scared and we were stuck at home. But what came out of that was a greater sense of community, a greater sense of closeness. People started working more re- remotely. We started staying at home with our families more. We started to have more work-life balance. Some pollution faded from the planet and we, we became stronger and better business people and more productive. We worked on our Zoom calls uh, and it really trans- began the transformation of not having a traffic jam every day. And so I'll write all that as if it has already happened 10 years in the future. And then I just lean into that vision. And um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, ultimately I'm a guy that's faithful. So to me, like I'm not in charge, but I am co-participating at the highest level. Like my whole plans are just my plans. They could be wrecked in a minute, but I'm fully engaging as much as I can with creating a magnificent life for me, for my family, for my community and for the world. And I'm playing all out towards that with all the failures and fumbles and goofiness that goes with that, Rick. So my biggest advice is be purposeful with your life, have an agenda. Cause if you don't have an agenda, the first person you meet every day will give you their agenda for you. Sure. Well, David, again, we appreciate you being on the show and that's going to call it for this week's edition of the work-life balance next week. Join us as we have Jennifer Kramer and Daniel Pewter. Uh, we're talking about charter schools and a vision that they have to help educate some of the people they've gotten left behind. So fantastic show planned for that. 
Uh, join us again next Friday. And as always, Friday at 4 Central, 5 Eastern, right here on the Voice America Business Network. Stay tuned, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.